Welcome to Citizens Midweek, a podcast for our church family where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. I'm your host, Jacob Kirby, and this week we are joined on the podcast yet again by our pastor, Tim Olson. Here we go. So we are in week two of our sermon series. Wait, I have something. Okay. Happy birthday. Oh, hey. It's Jacob Kirby's birthday on Friday, you guys. So when some of you are listening to this, it might be Friday. So text Jacob Kirby. Tell him happy birthday. If any of you are listening to this on Friday, the 2nd of April, in the year of our Lord, 2021, it will be my birthday. It's good Friday, so it's mostly about Jesus, but it's also partially about you. Right, right. My birthday's fallen on Easter like off and on my whole life, so it's not even a problem. How does that make you feel? Really special. Wow. I just love walking into Easter and telling people to divert their attention from Jesus and onto my birthday. Wow. That's self-absorbed. <laughs> I don't actually do that. Let's be very clear. Happy birthday, Jacob Kirby. Hey, thanks. All right. Go on, on Friday. We are in week two of a sermon series that our church family is walking through the book of Ephesians. This past week, we looked at Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Um, and I just want to give a quick recap of the sermon before we dive into today's discussion. But um, essentially, the passage was Paul's prayer that the church in Ephesus and us would know three things, three important things. One, that we would know the hope we have in Christ. Uh, two, that we would know that we are God's treasured possession uh, and three that we would know the power that God has to save us. So those are the things we talked about this week. I think the thing that probably stuck out to me the most was kind of how knowing that we are God's treasured possession, that God is sovereign in all things um, really attacks our idolatry um, specifically for me, um, just the approval idolatry that I have so innately in me. But the idea that, you know, because I'm treasured in God, because God treasures Jesus, because I'm in Jesus, we get all those benefits and blessings now um, that, you know, I don't have to, you know, hunt for opportunities to, to get approval. I don't have to hunt for opportunities for people to find value in me. Um, I don't have to find hidden value in myself um, because God treasures me the way he treasures Jesus. And I thought it was, I thought it was really apt because it kind of came up in our discussion last week on how sometimes we think, or I think that, uh, you know, the gospel made God neutral towards us instead of mad. But this was just a really good reminder that no, he's not just not angry anymore. He also treasures you. He delights in you because of the way he delighted in Jesus. And yeah, I mean, I need that reminder often. It's really easy to not live in that reality. No, that's so good. And that's something that we're going to continue to see really throughout the whole book yeah. of Ephesians. Paul's going to continue to ground everything where he's calls us to in the reality yeah. that we are treasured by God. We're, we're chosen by him. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. All these beautiful pictures that yeah. we see in the whole chapter of Ephesians one. Yeah. Somebody in the community group last night asked me, what does that do to your mindset when you think about that? And it's just like, well, man, it's a, a it slows me down so much. Like I, the, the hustle and bustle and the pace of kind of approval seeking of trying to find and manufacture these opportunities to, to get approval they kind of are slowed to a point, you know, knowing this about God, knowing this about the way God views me, like we can slow down and rest in what God's already done instead of chasing the next opportunity. But um, Tim, what about you? What kind of stuff um, stuck out to you in particular as you were preparing for this week? Yeah. So this was something that didn't really get hit on at all. Uh, I think I had it in a few of the rough drafts and then just for the sake of direction of where we wanted to go with the sermon. But I've just been thinking a lot uh, this week, especially from verse 16. So Paul says, um, for 15 and 16, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So I'm just thinking about like, what is my first response to our church? 
what is my first reaction to our church, right? And so I've just been like gut punched by this. And uh, yeah, just been floored by this reality of like Paul's first thought when he thinks about the church at Ephesus, which is not a church devoid of problems, right? Right. He's going to go into a lot of the problems <laughs> right. they're dealing with in chapters four through six, not a church devoid of their own pain, their own sin, their own struggle. But he says, my first thought of you is your love for God, your love for each other. And so that just builds up and boils up into thanksgiving. And yeah. he says, I, I literally, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Yeah. Now, when Paul thinks about this church at Ephesus, his first posture is not cynicism. His first response is not frustration. His first response is not dissatisfaction. His first response is thanksgiving yeah. and excitement and gratitude to God for what he has done in their lives. And I think, you know, even thinking about two weeks ago when Garrison walked us through the story, it's like, I think Paul's grounded in his Thanksgiving is grounded in remembering the gospel transformation that yeah. God brought about to this city and to this people and remembering that the gospel is good news for them, even in the midst of their suffering, even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of their brokenness. His first thought is I'm grateful because of what God has done for you and yeah. because of what he's done in you. And so I just think about that with my own self of does my posture first and foremost towards our church, one of gratitude, right? Right. Cause we're, we're a bunch of sinners trying to be uh -huh. church family together. And, uh, even as a brand new church, we're not devoid of our own, uh, stuff right. going on, our own problems, our own, uh, issues, my own sin and frustrations. And so I'm trying to go, okay, when I think about my community group right. is my first posture of Thanksgiving. When I think about, uh, our church family is my first posture, one of Thanksgiving. When I yeah. think about, um, Sundays gathering together is my first posture, one of Thanksgiving. And I think if we learn to live in a posture of gratitude towards our church, it'll completely change how we approach things. Not a posture of, I need something yeah. first and foremost, not a posture of frustration or angst or cynicism first and foremost, but a posture of Thanksgiving. I'm grateful that I get to be in a church community yeah. with these people. Yeah, that's really good. I think sometimes kind of being in a culture of church leadership and, you know, leading community groups and in different seasons being employed at the church, it's really easy to take the natural kind of base instinct that our first posture should be kind of find the problem because <laughs> like, we want to lead and, and shepherd well and care well and, and urge people towards Jesus. So we, I kind of see that in myself where I naturally first look towards the areas that need improvement <laughs> But that really breeds cynicism if you don't forget all of the goodness of the gospel that led us to being family together in the first place. Yeah, that's really encouraging. And I think you can do that even if you're not in church leadership, right? right? So right. I just think about uh, the guy who's in Engage the Heart Time every single week with somebody else in his group, and he just gets frustrated after a season of just, it feels like this guy keeps sharing and keeps sharing. And I think, you know, part of love is we want more for each other often yeah. than we want for ourselves. Right. Um, and so I think that can easy to grow into a posture of like, we're just going to keep talking about the same things. I just want them to grow. I want them to see this or even, you know, thinking about a posture with, with new folks who are coming around and wanting to be in, inviting to them and want them to belong and all of that. And it's easy just to grow frustrated or cynical or, uh, annoyed, even, yeah. you know, in our own flesh of like, man, I wish my group was different. Yeah. I wish they, uh, liked the same things I liked. I wish they, uh, accepted me more. I wish they would, would bend more to my preferences, whatever it may be. And instead going, okay, my posture first and foremost, when I show up on a Tuesday, a Wednesday or a Thursday, is one of gratitude. Yeah. I'm grateful that I'm here. I'm thankful for these people. Even if my work was terrible this week, even if I didn't want to be here, I'm <laughs> so grateful that I get to gather. And that's even something that I try to pray for our church every time when we gather, right? Every yeah. Sunday, my first prayer is, God, I'm grateful. It's yeah. another day where we get to be together as a church. Yeah, that's really good. That's really challenging. So uh, what are we diving deep into this week? 
Yeah, so I thought it would be a good opportunity uh, for us to talk a little bit more about some of the kind of application that we had out of this week's sermon. So we tried, um, and if you're, you're keen on this stuff already, you maybe have noticed this, but when we talked about each thing that Paul wanted, each truth that Paul wanted the church to know, we tried to apply it into four main areas of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so when we talked about this idea of the hope that we have in Christ, we talked about how it pushes back on our control, our need to, to um, hold all things together, our need to be in control of our lives, to dictate the future because Christ knows the future. He's bringing us to a future. We talked about uh, how that hope also pushes back against our immediate need for comfort now yeah. because we have a future promised comfort, even if it doesn't get better in a broken, fallen world in the present. We talked about how, because we're a treasured possession, all the stuff you just shared about, uh, Kirby, about, you know, if we know that we are God's treasured possession, we don't have to run around to anyone looking for approval, asking, am I enough? Am I, you know, fill in the blank enough? And then we talked about how when we recognize God's power to save, to do and accomplish what he said he's going to do and accomplish, that it pushes back against our need to be in charge, our need to be on the throne of our lives, to hold our universe together. And it frees us up in that way. And so in that, there was kind of this uh, whole idea of us trying to put push into uh, what is commonly referred to, and you might have heard us talk about it before, this idea of root or deep idols. So I thought it'd be good just to go into those yeah. a little bit more. Uh, for some of you, this is going to be a helpful review, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, for others of you, this might be brand new. And so this is just language we use a lot in our church. And yeah. so I thought it'd be helpful to kind of break that down a little more. Um, so this idea of, we'll call them root idols, but you can also call them deep idols, but we'll use the term root just to help us. Uh, this idea of root idols was, I don't know if he came up with it, but at least it got popular with a pastor named Tim Keller yeah, that's where in uh, New York City. So he just retired about a year ago, but he was a pastor for a long time at a church called Redeemer in uh, Manhattan. And he talks about this idea that if you look at the surface sins of a person, right? Uh, alcohol abuse, lust, uh, gossip, lying, um, cynicism, bitterness, whatever the, the root, the, the kind of top level sin is that manifests itself in a person's life, but you can track that down to what he calls a root idol. It's this deeper issue within your heart that you are longing for, chasing after, searching for. So, you know, this idea of idol we talked about in Acts is an idol is anything or anyone you put in the place of God yeah. in your life. Anything you view as ultimate for meaning, value, identity, worth. He says, if you look at your surface sin, that surface thing you chase, you can go down into one of what he calls four root idols, these deeper things that you are longing for that are causing themselves to manifest in a particular way in your life. So then he says, okay, so that means if you look at surface sins, uh, he kind of breaks it down into four. And these are you know, largely overarching categories. I think uh, Tim Keller's argument is that largely you're going to have one in particular for you, yeah. but also that each person probably has some amount of all of right. them. Uh, so it's important not to just go, well, this is mine. I don't have the other four. Like I think yeah. every, all of us are bent towards one in yeah. particular, but all of us have... This isn't like a personality type where you have to figure out which one do you do all the correct, time? Correct. Well, I'm power, so I'm definitely not in control. Right. You know? um, but I just kind of wanted to break those down. We have a, a little chart to kind of help uh, determine, okay, maybe... Maybe this is what your your ultimate idol is. And so uh, I thought it'd be helpful. We With each deep idol, there's four of them. We have uh, this statement of my life only has meaning or purpose if uh, my worst nightmare is people around me may feel and my problem emotion. So uh, the first root idol that he says is the root idol of power. He uh, have the root idol of power means that your life only has meaning or purpose if you have success, if you have influence, if you win, if you're in charge, if you are recognized as being kind of the power person in the room. Uh, If your root idol is power, that means your worst nightmare is humiliation. You don't want to be viewed as less than. You don't want to be viewed as unimportant. You don't want to be humiliated because to be humiliated means that you're not in a position of power. 
people around you, if you have a root idol of power, may often feel used, that you are uh, just taking advantage of them to have a stepping stone towards what you want. And then your problem emotion is going to be anger. You're going to be frustrated, angry that you're not getting what you want or you're not in charge. The second root idol is the root idol of approval. Uh, This is the person whose life only has meaning or purpose if they have affirmation, if they have relationship, if they have love. Approval idols often manifest themselves in terms of codependent relationships, in terms of a lot of bitterness if people aren't meeting their standards, in terms of a lot of just um, generic neediness, in terms of outside of just needing other people like we do as humans and Christians, but a deep-rooted like, I need this person or these people to welcome me and to accept me in order for my life to have meaning or value. Their uh, worst nightmare is rejection, right? So if their greatest desire is approval, obviously their worst nightmare is to not have approval. People around me may feel smothered. So it's this idea of, okay, I need you. I need something from you. I need you to want me. And so oftentimes that looks like an overreach into relationships outside of what is healthy. And then the problem relationship, problem emotion is cowardice, right? If you need other people's approval, you are going to be unafraid to say hard things in love that you need to say. You're going to be unafraid. You're going to be afraid to put up good boundaries. You're going to be afraid to um, rock the boat because that might mean that people don't like you. Tend to have a bit of a malleable personality, kind of the social chameleons, but it's kind of the classic, like if you stand for everything, you actually stand for nothing. Definitely. Uh, the, The next root idol is comfort. This means that your life only has meaning or purpose if there's no stress, if you have enough privacy, personal freedom, limited change. Uh, you just want everything to be calm. You just want to be able to relax. You just want to be able to, you know, stress free, no stress, all that. Your worst nightmare is stress or pain, right? So that's mm-hmm. the worst thing that could happen to you is to have something painful happen in your life, right? right? Your life is about minimizing pain and maximizing joy. Uh, people around you may feel neglected because people are hard. People are tough and people take energy. And if your greatest desire, your greatest longing, if the thing that sits on your throne is comfort, then you're going to be like, well, this, if this is hard, then I'm just going to, I'm going to drop that person altogether. I'm going to be unavailable. Uh, I just, you know, somebody that, uh, one me day turns into 12 me days, turns into a me month, you know, um, your problem emotion is apathy, right? Yeah. Uh, It's a scary thing to care. It's an uncomfortable thing to care. And so your problem emotion is going to be, it's more comfortable for me to just not care, to be absent both either in body or in emotions. Yeah. Some relational disconnect happens in that circle when like we can't, we can't suffer through the hard parts of life with one another because of our kind of obsession with comfort and, and easiness and kind of the, the character of chill vibes all the time. But you know, we break relationship with people really easily if we're only looking for the easy parts of it because people are complicated yeah. and relationships are hard. You miss out on a lot of good fruit. Yeah. And there's, uh, we'll get to this in a second, but there's vertical and horizontal right. dynamics of this, yeah. right? Like all of these disrupt our relationship with God and yeah. our relationship with each other. Uh, the last root idol is control. A control person, their life only has meaning or purpose if they have self-discipline, certainty, rules, and standards. Kind of the running joke uh, is that an Enneagram 1 always defaults to the root idol of control. Cannot confirm or deny. Uh, <laughs> your worst nightmare is uncertainty, right? You just don't want things to be uncertain. You don't want things to be um, unknown about the future. Uh, people around you may feel unloved. I think part of, of why that is, is because you have such a need to control everything that you have to control the future. You have to control the circumstances. You have to control other people. And then the problem emotion is worry or anxiety, right? You don't know the future. 
our worry tells us what is true, that we can't control the future, that we don't know it, that we yeah. live in a, a broken, fallen world. And so this reality of, okay, if my greatest desire is to have all things work according to my design, not God's design, but my design, yeah. then my problem emotion is going to be that it won't happen. Right. And I'm just going to be worried and anxious and people around me will feel that worry and anxiety. Um, yeah. Anything you would add to that one? Yeah. I just think for me, like a lot of these feel really interconnected sometimes depending on the situation and the season that I'm in. So for me, it's really helpful to identify the emotion that I'm feeling towards a specific situation. And that really helps me kind of boil it down. I mean, just to be a little more clear, like for me, the power and control parts of my own idolatry and sinfulness seem really interconnected. Like there doesn't always seem like much of a difference. But then when I think about like, oh, I'm feeling really angry right now not anxious. I'm not worried. I'm really mad because I feel humiliated. You know, I tell people all the time, like one of the things that makes me the most immediately angry is feeling like patronized or talked down to. Um, and that makes me angry right away. And I think for a long time, I would never have said like, Oh, that's a power thing. I just would have, I would have said any manner of other things. It's like, Oh, you can't stand to not be in control of the situation. (laughs) You can't stand when somebody's taking that away from you. Um, so identifying the emotion I'm feeling as a response to the sin I'm experiencing helps me identify what the idol might be underneath yeah. it. Yeah. And I think part of what's helpful with this is so, you know, there could be the same surface level sin, right? The same surface level uh, action, right? Yeah. So we can use um, alcohol abuse, for example, right? The person who just Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, now that yeah. the bars are back open, they're at the bar or whatever, right. um, just abusing alcohol overuse and that can be for different reasons mm-hmm. right so you have the person who struggles with the root idol of approval and they are you know getting drunk every weekend and they're doing it because they think people like them more yeah. when they're intoxicated they think people think they're funnier they think they uh, can get more people's approval or to, to squash like uh social anxiety and social nerves well i'm just so anxious that people are, aren't going to like me right. if i can just you know cut the tension with some alcohol then i'll be okay yeah but you can also have someone doing it for comfort mm-hmm. right life is really hard life feels um, overwhelming. It feels burdensome. And so I'm doing this to get some reprieve, right? I'm just working for the weekend. I'm mm-hmm. just, you know, well, I'm just relaxing. You can have somebody do it for control, right? And yeah. they can't control a lot of things in their life, but they can't control the bottle. Yeah. They feel like they can control the bottle. And so there can be a whole slew of, of uh, this same surface action, but all different reasons. Yeah. And part of why it's important to understand both your own root idols, but to also grasp this concept as a whole is it helps us apply the gospel to ourselves, right. right? So it's easy to sit down with that person and say, Hey, you're misusing alcohol. You're misusing, um, you know, you're, you're getting drunk. Like that's a sin. Like let's talk about those kinds of things. And it's easy to go. So, you know, the Bible says, don't get drunk. Stop. Drinking. Right. Yeah. But I just stop. Would you stop getting drunk? The Bible says, don't yeah. do it. You know? And on the one hand, it's like, okay, we want to obey God's yeah. demands. And that's not untrue. Yeah. And what's going on at the surface isn't always a one for one with what's going on underneath. Right. And so we want to take the gospel to these deeper areas of our souls, to these deeper areas of our hearts and go, okay, what are you longing for? Yeah. What are you actually looking for in that? And how does the gospel speak to that? And how is Jesus good news for that? Um, because he died both for your alcohol abuse, but he also died for the approval you're trying to get through your yeah. alcohol abuse. And so I think it's important to like, we want to deal with those things at a root issue because what often happens if we don't deal with them at a root issue is we just replace. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you might really work with someone hard on, <laughs> okay, you stopped abusing alcohol. That's great. That's awesome. But that root level desire idol of approval is still there. And so maybe they just run to something else because you haven't dealt with the deeper issues at the yeah. core of what they're going on internally. When I was in high school, a high school small group leader gave us this definition of sin, I guess that really stuck with me forever. (laughs) But he said, all sin is, um, all sin is action based on a lie we believe about God. 
So anything that we do as a, you know, a sinful response is because at the bottom of it, we are believing something that is untrue about God or who God says we are or Jesus or, um, so for all these, you know, these root idols, if we just looked at the surface tension of the sin itself, like dishonesty or greed or lust or whatever, kind of the, tr- the seven deadly sins, but you know, in community group time, we, we kind of like to ask one another, well, what does that say about what you're believing about God? Because it's not just that you did something you're not supposed to, it's that you had an opportunity to, you know, choose to be like Jesus or choose to be like the world of, or, you know, choosing to indulge your flesh. So what does your choice say about what you believe? And that's what these root idols are. So you're believing that God is not in control. You're believing that God does not treasure you, that God doesn't have a future for you. Um, but that, you know, we're rooting out what the deep lies that we're believing about who God is are through these things. Which you see all the way back in the original sin in Genesis right. 3, yeah. right? The devil shows up to Adam and Eve. And what is, what does he question? He questions God's character yeah. towards them, right? He says, okay, did God actually say this? Yeah. He questions his commands. And then he says, well, no, that's not why. Right. He's actually keeping you from something. He's yeah. actually not to be trusted. He's actually not good. The, that that core of the devil's lie there is saying, no, God is withholding from you. And he doesn't actually know what's best or want what's best. Yeah. Can you. you really trust that he is the way he said he was? Absolutely. And so even in that is this root level of what do you actually believe about God? Here? Right. Do you actually believe he's good? Because if he's good and if he knows best, you don't eat the tree. Right. Right. You don't eat from the fruit because you know he knows best. He knows what's best. But if you believe God's withholding, right, then we're going to search after these other right. things. If you think God is withholding, keeping from you, not actually good, not actually all powerful, then it's easy to then see the need to yeah. run after these other things instead. And I think that's a lot of kind of the spirit of the age that we live in is a lot of I think I've seen a lot of people kind of deconstruct what the church has historically called sinful because the world has kind of decided that these things are good things that the church is needlessly withholding. Like a lot of the kind of the worldly pleasures of, of, I mean, like, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll a little bit of like, well, people find enjoyment in these things at a base level. So there must be something wrong with the, with the Christian worldview that says that they're not Mm. what God would have for us. Um, so I think that's what you said earlier is really important. It's not just that we're asked to not do things, but it's because we're being invited to something else better as being a part of God's kingdom. We're being invited into better things. Um, it's not just a, like wagging your finger at us. <laughs> no, don't do these things. It's like, no, we're invited into something better in Jesus. Yeah. Eugene Peterson, um, who's a pastor for a long time, he said that the first move towards God is a necessary move away from the world. Yeah. And he says that the first, the first step of realization that, that uh, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, that God is who he says he is, that he is good is a realization that you are not good and that the world is not good and that it, the world cannot satisfy. And he yeah. says, until you make that move, you can't actually uh, embrace all that God has for you and yeah. the invitation that he has to walk with him as savior and Lord. Uh, so we talked about this a little bit, but why is this, why are these root idols beneficial? So we talked about this already. You know, we need to get mm-hmm. the gospel down deep into those deep areas of our lives. I think it also helps us have a better understanding of our sin, right. but also our temptations, our desires, our tendencies. Uh, I think it's easy, you know, to just say, well, you know, my, my temptation is lust. Okay. But, but why? Like what, what's going on at the root there? And that just helps us in all, in all honesty, have some secret weapons towards yeah. fighting, right. To just be like, all right. So, so it's not just, um, you know, the problem is not just I'm on my computer too late at night. 
Yeah. The problem is not just me and my boyfriend or my girlfriend need to not be alone. Like the yeah. problem is not just this, what is leading in the immediate temptation. Yeah. You know, we want to cut that off. The Bible says, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. We want to create those, those big steps yeah. towards removing ourselves from physical temptations. But it's also, okay, we, we got to deal with the root level. Like what, right. what in me is off right now that's causing me to want to go after this thing. It's not just that I'm tired. It's not just that I'm attracted to this person. It's not just that I have earthly desires, but it's also right. I'm searching for something at my core that I believe right now God is not giving me. And I feel like God is not satisfying within me, or I feel like I have to go elsewhere to find rather than rooting myself in the good news of the gospel. And so it just helps us deal with not only our sin and our sin patterns, but also our temptations and how to actually undercut those uh, with the good news of the gospel. Right. Um, and then in all that, I think this helps us fight for sanctification and maturity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think it's Martin Luther that talks about this idea of um, no, is is John Calvin right to know God? You have to know yourself. Yeah, and you know we do that in like the really cheesy twenty first century American <laughs> ways of like I just have to know myself, whatever. And it's like no, you, to know God, you have to know yourself, and not in some self discovery. I'm awesome. Right. Find out all the ways I'm great kind of way, but in a deep rooted, I'm broken. Right, and I'm messed up, and I'm sinful, and. I need a savior. And so the more that we are willing to go into the depths of our sin, the more we're willing to go, I'm not just messed up in what I do, but I'm right. messed up in who I am, right? This, this doctrine of total depravity that nothing within us is good yeah. and nothing within us chooses God that we're made in God's image, but nothing within us wants him, chooses him, goes after him. And we need the gospel to work on that. Not just to be good news for our actions, but to be good news, news for our souls yeah. and good news for who we are at the core, because who we are at the core is not good. Who we are at the core is not neutral. Who we are at the core without Christ is an enemy of God, dead in our sin. All the stuff we're going to talk about in a few days on Easter. This idea of we are not uh, a little bit broken. We're not uh, okay. We're not just kind of, okay, do we choose God or not? We are broken through and through. We're yeah. sinful through and through at our core. And we need God and the gospel to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just that God's redeemed our hands to do better things, but it's that we were dead in our sins. Like every part of us was rotten in our sin and God is making us alive and giving us new hearts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then lastly, a couple of areas to avoid in this, and this is true with, with all things on uh, any tools that we have uh, in the Christian life is you want to avoid uh, labeling other people, right? Yeah. So I think one of the ways this can go poorly, um, even in our church is, is um, wanting to put, well, you did that because, right? Well, well, you're saying that because you have a control item. Yeah. Oh, well, you're saying that because you're just, you're, you're a power person. Like that's why you're doing that. Or, oh, well, you're just, you're an approval person. That's why they did that. Labeling, labeling other people. I think also you want to be where you're labeling yourself. Right. You know, we can, uh, some of the worst versions of the Enneagram are people that use it to justify bad right. behavior. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm just a two. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm just codependent cause I'm a two. Uh, I just like helping people. Uh, well, I just, I, I don't, I can't spend time with people cause I'm a four. Yeah. I just need my introvert time. And we're using these good God given tools instead in really poor ways. Right. And so yeah. we do the same thing with idols. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I know I shouldn't do that, but like, I'm a control person. You know, I just controls my thing. So what I, and these are, instead of seeing them as tools for sanctification yeah. and maturity to say, Oh, man, I'm a control person. Yeah. I need the gospel to work on that. I need the spirit to, to, to empower me to change and to grow. We use them as justifications. Right. Oh, well, that's just me being a control person. Right. Classic me. Um, instead of going, Oh no, like, yeah. that's sin. That's broken yeah. within me. And I need to release that to the Lord and I need him to change me. And so I think avoiding the, the area of, of labeling other people of labeling or justifying ourselves um, seeing this as an excuse rather than a tool for our sanctification and growth. Yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody and I kind of caught myself saying something to the effect of like, we're talking about codependency and just like unhelpful, unhealthy kind of, uh, 
maybe not leeching, but basically it's somebody we were talking about codependency and somebody said something to the effect of like, well, you know, I'm just a helper. Like I just care about helping people. And it's like what you can't see, like <laughs> there's approval under there. There's, there's you, it's great to help people and to care about people. But underneath that, there's an insistence that you've got to be at the center of the story, helping people. Um, and continue helping people like don't stop helping people but um the what and the why matter too and being a you know being a f- weary of uh unjustly going idol hunting in other people right well. you know Oof. what i mean because sometimes in those situations it's like no they genuinely want to help yeah you right. know like yeah and not just assuming the worst in people yeah. like it's got to be a both and and i think we do i do a poor job all of us do a poor job of living in attention as a christian of like yeah, at all times in any good deed I do, there's probably right. good and bad motives and there's probably good and bad reasoning and there's probably gospel-centered stuff and yeah. there's also probably idol-centered stuff. And so I think even avoiding some of like, um, oh, well, you're mad at me because you're a power person. Right. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And also right. I might be mad at you because you you actually did something wrong and hurt my right. feelings. You know? Yeah. Oh, well, you're upset here because you didn't get to be in control. Maybe. Or maybe I just wanted a voice. Yeah. You know? Oh, well, you're just upset here because you want my approval. Right. Maybe. But also we're friends. So I do, I do a little bit want your approval yeah. and that's not all bad. Um, and I think, I think learning to live in the nuance of yeah. the Christian life in this and learning to live in the tension of, uh, we, we absolutely want to be good at idol hunting, right? Our hearts are wicked. Right. And so we want to be able to see it, but we also want to give space for sanctification, for growth, for good and right. bad motives, all of that. Um, and not people put people in a box of, uh, always assuming the worst right. motives and not believing, um, and hoping for growth and sanctification yeah. and, um, just being weary of that. Yeah. I'm a big fan of kind of reminding ourselves that we are called to be generous with our assumptions about one another as Christians. And, um, yeah, I definitely, like I've, I noticed in myself, even over the past few years, kind of having to move away from using these kind of identifiers, like Enneagram and personality types and idol hunt or idol, uh, deep idol stuff. It's like, uh, Oh, I'm making ungenerous assumptions about you in an attempt to expedite or something, you know, like we can cut this conversation short if I can just, um, but that's really, that's really ungenerous with people and, and it boils people down to their potential worst qualities or something where, um, yeah, we're just called to be more generous with our assumptions about one another than that. And the nuances also someone in your group and engage the hard time telling you that you might have a power idol is not them being over assumptive. So you also got to listen right, there. Right. You know, it's a, this is not caveats or avenues for you just to go, Oh, well engage the hard time. I don't need to listen when my yeah. group leader is trying to tell me I have a power idol. It's like, maybe you should listen right. that's your brother in Christ or sister in Christ trying to help you. Yeah. Um, and so it's gotta, you gotta be able to have some nuance in, in all of these discussions and these conversations um, and to be willing you know, we talk about this idea of blind spots, but being willing to say, Hey, maybe those people in my life see something I don't see because it's so ingrained within me. And then also having some, some confession opportunities to go, I see stuff they don't see. And I got to bring this to the light and, and all of that. Um, another podcast for another day. Right. We could do that for a while. Um, anything else you want our church to know? Uh, just had about this weekend. So this is Holy Week. Um, you know, Christ's journey to the cross. We started with Palm Sunday, uh, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. There's so much good here. I would just encourage you, we talked about this last night as a group, is to spend some time this week preparing your heart for what we're celebrating this weekend. I think it's easy to get caught up in the in um, all of it, right? Where it's our first Easter as a church. We're excited. We get to baptize folks. It's a lot of good. And I think it's easy to kind of come into this frazzled or, you know, Friday night, I just got off work. It's the weekend. I'm rushing to the Good Friday service, whatever. But I think really pausing at some point this week to read the gospel accounts of what Jesus walked through this week, Luke 22, Matthew 27, some of these beautiful pictures of, um, not only the cross and the resurrection, but also, you know, what took place on quiet Saturday, yeah. Holy Saturday, what took place uh, on Maundy Thursday, the last supper, 
Supper, what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane, just really taking some time leading up to Friday and Sunday to go, all right, Lord, what did you walk through yeah. on this week? How can I let this fall on new ears, on a new heart? What do you want to show me through the cross and the resurrection this year? And come ready to worship. Come ready to uh, remember your sin and brokenness and the cross on Friday and then let that dwell down deeply within you and then come ready to celebrate and yeah. to party and to uh, worship in a, in a um, joy-filled, hope-filled way on Resurrection Sunday. Yeah. So I think just preparing your heart for Easter and Sunday, uh, your willingness to do that is going to affect um, how you experience the Lord this weekend. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, I don't remember the address, but maybe tell people where they can find us if they want to join us on That's Easter okay. Sunday. Friday, Friday at 6, not at 5. Friday at 6 p.m., 1324, the Plaza, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And then Sunday at 5 for Easter, uh, also at 1324, the Plaza. Um, Friday's going to be great. It's going to be a kind of a contemplative Good Friday service, remembering the cross. And then Sunday's going to be uh, just a lot of resurrection, joy, and celebration. Yeah. We're going to baptize some folks. We're going to have uh, goodie bags for the kids. We're going to have a, a food truck party afterward. Um, it's going to be tons of fun. Yeah. I'm um, really excited about celebrating the Lord together. Yeah. It sounds silly to have to say so, but this is our most favorite time of the year. We, this is, uh, this is our, this is our Super Bowl. <laughs> this is, we're excited to celebrate it together. That's the only sports reference you're ever going to get from Jacob that Kirby. Is, so, yeah. That's Use it right. wisely. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for talking to us, Tim. I'll see you next time.